Well, it's great to be with you. It's always a sign of incredible leadership that you start with a fry up on a Saturday morning. Um, so if we trained Tom in any way, that, that was a good thing. Um, we loved having Tom and Sarah and the family with us. Um, we survived four years, so don't worry. You will cope. You'll adapt. You'll adjust. And actually, when um, Becky and I said that we were coming here for this morning, um, it wasn't hard to persuade Colette and Tim and Rachel to come and join us as well, because they were part of um, Tom's young adult group. And um, I think the idea of taking a road trip with us was less significant than the destination being to come see Tom and to be with you this morning. And um, what we're going to do this morning, really, is we're going to talk about more. There, there just is so much more in the Christian life than we realise. And um, as we were worshipping, I, I was struck that several times in the songs we were talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and so often we don't focus on the ministry of the Spirit. Uh, so often we sing about the Lion and the Lamb, but we only know God in one of those aspects. You know, maybe we know the gentleness of God, but we haven't perhaps known the power of God. Tom, last night, I gather, was talking about the cross and the Spirit and how the Spirit leads us to the cross. He, he brings us back to Jesus where new life and new hope is always found. But also the cross leads us to the Spirit because the cross opens up a new life. And um, as we were worshipping, I was just reminded of this very famous verse in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ new creation has come. So if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Um, I don't want to sort of start by saying, how old do you feel this morning? Because um, on a Saturday morning, that can be quite old sometimes. But I, I, what I really want to say is, are you more aware of old things in your life still being around and troubling you? Or are you more aware of new things that have come from God? that are making your life one of adventure and excitement. And I would imagine the, the testimony of most Christians, except possibly for that sweet honeymoon period after we get converted, is that actually as we go on in the Christian life, we're probably more aware of those struggles that we still have, and we are less aware of God doing new things in us which reduce us to tears of awe and wonder. And that's not the way it's meant to be. That's, that's not the life that Jesus presented us in the gospel. What we really want to talk about today is the opportunity to discover what is on the other side of the cross. You know, what did the cross do? Did the cross just mean that your sins are forgiven and that you will, when you die, go to be in heaven and are perfected? Or did the cross mean that you are forgiven and you have already entered into eternal life? And the powers of the age to come are already being experienced in you and amongst us. Well, the Bible actually talks more about the second than it does about the former. Um, when, I, when I grew up, there was a phrase, um, steak on a plate when you wait. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> because most of you remember pie in the sky when you die. And actually, the Christian life is not pie in the sky when you die. It's steak on a plate when you wait. In other words, it's actually about things that you can have in this life right now through what Jesus has done for us. So let's put pie in the sky when you die religion to one side and let's talk about living the life that Jesus has won for us that begins now and then continues so that death for us is just a transition into the fullness of all that's already beginning in us now. 
And that's the way the Bible talks about it. If anyone has come to Christ, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has already happened. We are already living the new life. We're not living the fullness of it yet. We still have this battle between the, the old man, the flesh that needs constantly to be put to death, but we have within us spirits that have come alive and we are born again, we are new creations, we are new creatures in God. And um, we get to enjoy and to start unpack, unpacking even now all that is to come. Now, you'll probably know that when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it tends to use words that imply there's a lot more coming later. So words like first fruits, down payment, guarantee, foretaste, you know, all of these things, they, they suggest to us that what we're getting now is a hint of the glory that is to be revealed. But they do suggest that we're actually getting some of it now. Now, I, I didn't grow up like that. Um, that was not an awareness that I had. When I, um, I well, I was, uh, I've been in church all of my life, basically. Um, my parents had been raised in the church, and when they got married and gone off to Australia for a few years, they'd backslidden. But when I was born, they went back to church. Obviously, because they were overwhelmed by the blessing that is me, and, um, or possibly because they needed some help. But I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to make sure that I got brought up in the church like they had been. So we went to church. And the, the sort of church we went to was the sort of church where the closer you got to this end, the holier it got, the more clothes you needed to wear and the more care you needed to take. Um, you know the sort of church I'm describing. And um, they had a fantastic um, plan for keeping children in the church, which was make them carry things. So from my, earliest, from my earliest days in church, or at least after I was old enough not to set myself or any, anybody else on fire, uh, I was trained to carry a candle. And as I got a little bit bigger, moved up to a cross, and then a little bit bigger again, moved up to a book. And gradually, you know, I, I spent most of my Sundays in robes in that, in that church when I was on duty. Um, and I'm not knocking it. I know I'm sort of, para, para, sort of you know, creating caricature of it. But what that spoke to me about was how the God that we worship is a God who is slightly distant, incredibly holy, who we, who we approach with awe and worship. We approach carefully. And, um, of course, that is all true. It's just not sufficient. Um, and so I, I grew up in this church with that vision of God. I wasn't particularly well taught in the church. Sermons rarely lasted beyond five to seven minutes. You may think that sounds like heaven. Um, <laughs> let me just tell you, in the long run, it's not great because you don't know much. Particularly, you tend to get kind of like a blessed thought and a, you know, from somebody's, you know, what happened to them when they went shopping this week and then a couple of references to the Bible and a tenuous connection. It's not really getting you into understanding what the Bible's saying. And so the outcome of that is I just wasn't really discipled. And so I was a committed Christian. I, I believed everything I'd been taught. I just hadn't been taught much. I was confirmed at the you know, ripe old age of 10 and um, believed everything that I said. But my understanding of it was probably quite limited. And so this is embarrassing, but it's very true. Literally, for years, um, when I wasn't on duty, I would come into the church, I would turn left into the pew, kneel down, count to ten, sit back up again. Never occurred to me that you should actually, that actually people were praying. So what I saw other people doing was kneeling down for about ten seconds and sitting back up again. 
Nobody ever taught me how to pray. It just hadn't occurred to me that that's what they were probably doing. And I thought you were just taking a pause for the cause, getting ready for the service, and it was a sort of honourable thing to do. So when I was at school, um, if you'd said to me, are you a Christian? I would have said, absolutely. If you'd looked for evidence of that in my life, other than the one hour on a Sunday morning, you would have been hard-pressed to find it. Um, I probably had a bit more of a moral framework than most of the Toregs I grew up with, but that wasn't hard. Um, and I probably had some sort of resources to understand things that happen in life that gave me hope. And that was a particularly key thing when a, we were in sixth form and a friend of ours died. Um, I realised, actually, I, I had a, a worldview that other people didn't have. And I ended up becoming the person a lot of people came to to talk about. But that was, that was my faith. And so what happened to me was, at, the, at 18, I went to university and... Um, I went to the college chapel, because that was the local expression of Anglicanism. Um, so checked in there, moved in on the Saturday, checked in there on the, Friday, uh, on the Sunday morning. And then the next week was the week of the Freshers' Fair. And through that week, the, all the various clubs and societies did things. And there was one particular day, I think it was the Friday of that week, where the Christian Union had a stall. And I went past this thing, and I thought, oh, I never knew we had a union. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm pro- probably ought to join it, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, you know, maybe there was strike action or something, you know, <laughs> solidarity with the brothers and sisters, I'll, you know, come out. So I joined the Christian Union and then discovered that actually the Christian Union was, was actually about meeting together to have a meal and then read the Bible. And I thought, well, actually that doesn't sound, that sounds like the sort of things Christians would do. And I remembered back to my confirmation classes and thought, yeah, that was all right. So I went along and I, I, I took along with me my confirmation Bible. Now, to this day, I don't know why I'd taken it to university. I just felt it was like the right thing. I should probably take my Bible with me. Um, a confirmation Bible, if you don't know, is a normal Bible, but with the pages glued together with silver or gold foil. <laughs> and this, is, this, this is the definition of a confirmation Bible. And so I went into these Bible studies, and um, firstly, they would, be, they would be reading books that I'd never heard of, like Galatians and things like that. And secondly, um, I would have to peel the pages apart to get there. Which is really embarrassing. They'd be like, okay, Galatians 3, let's start reading. I'd be like, hang on. You know, I'd literally, literally be peeling the pages apart. But what happened was, as I read the Bible for the first time, it all fell into place. Now, obviously, I'd been in church for years. I'd been in, uh, the, the tradition I was in was communion every Sunday. So I'd heard the gospel. I'd, I'd heard about Jesus laying down his life, about his body broken, his blood shed, what that meant for us. I'd heard that again and again and again, but for some reason the penny had never really dropped until I started reading it for myself. And as I read it for myself, I understood that the holy God, who made the heavens and the earth, had become one of us, made himself knowable as a friend and a brother, so that we could have a relationship with him. So how could we ever know God? Well, what if he becomes one of us? And when he becomes one of us, not only does he reveal God, but he then becomes perfect God and perfect man, who is the only person that can fulfill the will of the Father and the only person who could offer a perfect sacrifice on our behalf to reunite us with a holy God who's offended by the things that we've done that are wrong. Suddenly it all fell into place and the beauty of the gospel just captured me. 
And what it, what it meant was my faith came alive. I, I became, after the few short weeks of term, as I went home at Christmas, my family's worst nightmare, which is the breakfast table evangelist, um, because I just couldn't stop you know, sharing just the things I was discovering. It was all coming alive, and I was incredibly, incredibly excited. And um, that meant that, for me, my studies um, became quite a secondary issue. I was, at ch I was at university, as far as I was concerned, to learn more about God and to share him with as many people as I possibly could. And I wouldn't say it affected my final grade, because um, that was going to be what it was going to be anyway. But it, it did become my main passion and my main focus. And, and um, one of the things that we used to do was we used to um, share our faith with overseas students. That was, that was the, uh, the deal. Um, we would invite them to a tea party um, to come and practice their English. Halfway through the evening, we would spring upon them the horrible truth that we're all Christians. Um, and then we would say to them, by the way, if you'd like to study your English in, um, in a different way, then we're going to read the Bible together in another room. You're welcome to come and join us, not pushing anybody into this, but if you want to come and join us, we'll, we'll read the Bible, we'll explain a little bit about our faith. And surprisingly, lots of people did. And uh, the thing was, we would have these Bible studies and very, very rarely would you see anybody come to faith. Now, for me, that was really frustrating because it was literally through reading the Bible that my faith had come alive. And so I thought, I know this works. It happened to me. You know, people have all sorts of arguments, but you can never really argue something when you know it happened because it happened to you. I know reading the Bible can transform your life because that's what happened. I read the Bible and suddenly my faith came alive. And so I was getting a bit frustrated about this and um, by this stage uh, I was leading the team and um, therefore probably feeling it even more keenly. And I, I just, I think I was praying that God would just show me more or do more or just do something. And I had this really interesting experience. It happened, it was repeated three or four times during one week. I don't know why it didn't go on after that, but three or four times during one week, as I tried to lay down to go to sleep, I would be praying through the day and I was just filled with an amazing sense of joy and peace. Um, the first time it happened, I literally levered myself out of bed to see if an angel had turned up because it was so unusual. I, d I just have not experienced this before. And um, of course, an angel wasn't there, at least not that I could see. It was really hard to describe, but I, I just found myself really filled with a sense of God and rejoicing in him. Now, I'd never heard about this. I hadn't consciously read about it in the Bible. Um, nobody had prayed for me for it to happen. <coughs> And actually, because I didn't have the same evangelical church background that all the other people in the Christian Union had, I never told anybody about it either. Because I'd always felt a bit of the odd one out. And I, you know, when I first hit university and discovered that apparently to become a Christian is a prayer, you have to pray. Did you know that? You got a, there's a prayer apparently. You have to like, unless you prayed the sinner's prayer, you're probably not really a Christian. Well, I'd been like 18 years, I'd got away without that one, and nobody pulled me on it. So uh, I'd had to quietly do that without anybody knowing, you know. Um, and now I've been, you know, I've had this encounter with God, and it's, oh, finally, maybe I'm a real one. 
You know, maybe I'm finally a real Christian. So I never told anybody about it, but what I noticed over the next few weeks was a couple of things. Firstly, what I believed in my head, I began to experience in my heart. And there's a world of difference between knowing the love of God and knowing the love of God in your heart. And I, probably most people just take to knowing the love of God as an emotional experience really quickly. I'd never really done that because, to be honest, my, my connection between my brain and my heart was fairly tenuous. Um, I was a very kind of like cold, logical, rational kind of person. I was doing a maths degree. Um, when I was at school, the kids had referred to me as Spock, which wasn't meant as a compliment. Um, but I think there was a bit of emotional healing going on there. Um, God was, was beginning to bring alive in me the ability to experience, the, the, the ability to have the emotion that goes with the truth. Now, I'd been rejoicing in the truth by that stage for a, a year or more, but now I was experiencing the truth. And that really launched me on a completely different trajectory in how I read the Bible, how I engaged with God, and um, what my day-to-day -day relationship with God looked like. Now, the other thing that was also really interesting was that we carried on doing those Bible studies just as badly as we had done before, but people started coming to faith in numbers that we hadn't seen before. We'd probably seen two or three people come to faith in the first year or so of, of me leading and then in the next year or so, we saw about 40 people come to faith, many of them from closed countries, uh, from communist China, from um, North African Muslim nations, uh, from behind the Iron Curtain, you know, all sorts of really interesting stories. People making decisions for Jesus that were costly, and you know that that means it's real. And that just it was in incredibly powerful. That, it was through really that experience of leading and that experience of church that God led me into ministry. But what I took from that was the awareness that, that God is not just the Father, the God who made the heavens and the earth, the great, mighty, the awesome, the holy God. Not even only the Son who comes alongside, so that through him being the Son, we understand the Father and the holy God has love for us. And, but he comes alongside so that we can have an intimate relationship with him. He calls us brothers and sisters. Not only that, but he wants to be so intimate with us that our God is a transforming fire, a God who consumes us from within. And, and I realise there's so many things that Jesus talks about that so many people have never experienced. So when Jesus says, you know, you've been baptised with water, I will baptise you with fire. I'd had no experience of that. I've had some since. Jesus says, you know, if anybody believes in me, out of their inmost being will flow streams of living water. I'd, I'd had no experience of that. I've had some since. You know, I realised there's so much more. So the first thing that really um, hit me was it, it just began to start um, affecting my reading of the Bible. I think we've got some scriptures on the screen. So we're going to use uh, the phrase walking on water to, um, in the first two talks this morning. I noticed, firstly, from, from that experience I first had from reading the Bible, <clears throat> I understood who Jesus was and what he's done for us. 
from that second experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is now I realized what was going on, I understood who I am in Jesus. You can get the difference, you know. They've been the, the two great revelations of my faith, who Jesus is and what that means, and who I am in Jesus and what that means. And when I went back to the Bible, I realized that discipleship was far more exciting and challenging um, than I had ever been led to believe. I had always thought of discipleship as basically being, being a good Christian, you know, turn up, pay up, read the Bible, pray, be a good person. Maybe tell other people about Jesus if you're one of the enthusiastic ones. But this is what the Bible says. He called them, this is the first disciples, he called them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So even in the initial call of the disciples, Jesus' intention is that the disciples will go and do the things that he's doing. And when he sends them out, a little bit later in Matthew chapter 10, he sends them out, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. This, this is the ordinary people, like Peter and John and James and Andrew and Bartholomew. It's those people that he is sending out to do these things. The things that he himself were doing, he was not just doing to demonstrate how amazing he is, but he was modeling things that he wanted them to do as a way of them also revealing the love of the Father to others. And then when Jesus has said to the disciples that he's going, going to go back to the Father, he won't be with them anymore, and they're thinking, well, what happens now? Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will do the things that I have been doing. And so this, this more is a more of discipleship as well as a more of experience. And um, New Wine, which we'll hear a little bit more about later, is... Is, is really a family of churches that are trying to learn to help and encourage each other into that more. We basically believe that we can't fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us unless we do it in the way that Jesus taught us with the resource that Jesus gave us, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, what we're going to do here, though, is talk about uh, how we can, as an individual, begin to step into a bigger Christian experience than just pie in the sky when you die. What does steak on a plate while you wait look like? So we're going to um, use as, um, as our passage Matthew chapter 14, and um, it's a very famous passage. In my Bible it says, Jesus walks on water. Now for me, that's not a very exciting heading, because Jesus does all sorts of amazing things. This is just another one. The most exciting thing for me in this passage is that Peter joins him. Jesus walks on water, and actually Peter walks on water, and really it's symbolic of us stepping into something that is greater than we have yet experienced. So the context for Matthew 14 is this. There we go. Um, at the beginning of the chapter, John the Baptist has died, and so Jesus wants to get away to be with his father and pray. And um, he tries to get away, the crowd follow him, so he has to feed the 5,000. And then he does finally, after that, manage to get away. And it says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd. 
After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Just a little side comment. Often we think that when we're experiencing difficulty in the Christian life, it means we're somehow out of the will of God. They were experiencing forces coming against them because they were going where Jesus wanted them to go. That's just worth noting that, isn't it? So they're in a storm. A storm arose because the Sea of Galilee is um, it's, it's very low, it's got mountains on one side, it's got plains on the other, so you get cold air, hot air, meeting a shallow lake, and therefore storms blow up very quickly. It's notorious for that. A number of the disciples were fishermen, so they knew they were in trouble. They knew this was likely to be a, a, a severe storm, and they couldn't have predicted it coming because that's just what the lake is like. And then it says in verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, again, it's really interesting that we often discover something new about God when we're in a position of challenge and threat and danger and difficulty. Um, something about everything being out of control is often a time when we're more open to God coming and giving us the more and, and helping us. When everything's going smoothly, we, we tend to sort of forget God and we just like carry on happily. But when, when we've got a bit of a difficulty, then possibly we might discover something new. Now, what I want to point out is what were their reactions like? Because you and I will have to get over these reactions in order to step into new things with God. So verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, this is something they'd never seen him do before, they were terrified it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So, first thing, when God does something new, it is normal to be afraid. It's really worth labouring this point because so often when God starts to work in, in our life or in our church or you see people encountering God in, in a way that's slightly different from what people normally do on a Sunday, it, it can make you feel slightly uncomfortable because you haven't seen it before. You know, I went to a church and as pe you know, people, as they were prayed for, they were, you know, seemed to be quite emotional. Um, I, I didn't really understand what was going on. I felt, I felt a little bit afraid. Totally normal. Um, it's amazing how often people say things like, well, I really didn't feel comfortable with that, so I, I just, that clearly wasn't God. I thought, what, what Bible have you been reading? Now, just take the angels for a start. What's the first thing an angel says when it turns up? Do not be afraid. Why is that? Because they're scary. Angels are scary. Whenever you are aware of something that's different from what you've experienced before, you suddenly realize you're small in the face of an infinite universe, in the presence of God, you know, naturally people feel afraid. It's written right the way through the Bible. So don't let that fear overwhelm you. They were terrified when Jesus was coming towards them. Now, they actually went a little bit further than that. They um, misattributed what was going on and declared it to be another spirit. That's really unhelpful. Um, slightly offensive to Jesus as well. They've been with him for a few years by this point, And they now are kind of like basically labelling him as something from the other side. It's a ghost. 
and they cried out in fear. Again, you know, people are looking for explanations of things. If you don't know what's going on, then suspend judgment and ask God what's going on. You know, don't jump to a conclusion. It must be, you know, something unhealthy and uh, ungodly. Well, let's see what happens. So, immediately, Jesus reassures them. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Actually, it's, all, it's wonderful because um, they were terrified, they said it was a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Jesus kind of deals with all three. He says, take courage, it's not a ghost, it's me, don't be afraid. And that's wonderful. Jesus will reassure you. He can do that in the silence of your heart. He can do that by sending you back to Scripture. Actually, you go back to the Bible and you realise these sorts of things happen regularly in the Bible. Oh, this must be what that was talking about. That's why, for me, the Bible came alive as I began to experience something in the Spirit. Suddenly realised that oh, that's what that means. But Jesus will reassure you through other people's testimony. They'll say, I don't know what that was, but it actually, this has been really good. This is what I've discovered. You, you'll, you'll hear things from other people. Uh, you'll hear things, um, testimony of what God is doing around the world, and you'll go, ah, Jesus wants you to know it's him. If you're not sure, keep But even more than that, and this is the wonderful thing, I think, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I, I love Peter's boldness in this. What he's basically saying is, Okay, something supernatural is going on here. I am afraid. I'm not entirely sure it's Jesus. But Jesus, if it is you, I want to join in. That shows that Peter, Peter really understands discipleship, that Jesus wanted his disciple. Jesus said, my servant, where I am, my servant will be. And Peter's going, I want to do that then. Um, and just think about that. It's a bold request he understands discipleship. He wants to be with Jesus, doing Je what Jesus is doing. But Jesus is actually walking on the water at the moment. This, as of all the supernatural things Jesus has done, this is right up there. There's a thousand responses that could come to mind about what Jesus could have said back to Peter. Like, who do you think you are? You know, and I, I'm, I'm Jesus. I made it. I can walk on it if I want to. Um, you know, I'm the son of God, I'm perfect, Peter, you're a sinful man. You know, what an arrogant thing to say, how bold of you to, to say something like that. I think there's a load of reasons where you and I could advance why Peter should not be able to walk upon the water, right? I mean, you know, just, if, if Jesus, well, I'm standing on a baptistry here, I realise, you know, if we, do, <laughs> we can have practice later. Okay, so I'll start over here. We'll see if we can go across, okay. But, you know, if Jesus... If Jesus was doing it, do you think you'd be able to do it? Well, Peter somehow thinks that, that if Jesus says we can join him, we can. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus cuts through all of the arguments that might have been going on and just says, come. It's a beautiful word of, of uh, invitation. And any of you who find it in yourself to be that you're hungry for more, that you want to enter into the eternal life that starts when you come to the cross first 
and only continues into something even better when you die. But, you know, the life that starts now, Hebrews 6, the powers of the age to come that are already being experienced upon us. You know, if you want a closer walk with Jesus, if you want to know the love of God in your heart, not just in your head, if you want to know the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your witness and service, whatever it is that you are asking Jesus for more, his answer to you is what it is to Peter. Come. It's as simple as that. He doesn't say, sort yourself out and come. He doesn't say, pray really hard for a really long time and come. He just says, come. So we realised, Becky and I, as we were teaching on these sorts of things, what's the challenge? What, what could be the issue here? Well, it's probably on our side, isn't it? On Jesus' side, it's really simple. It's invitation. Just come. And we asked ourselves this question. What would stop Peter from stepping out of the boat and joining Jesus? And what stops us from stepping out from where we are and joining Jesus in a more supernatural, spirit-filled experience of life. Because remember, there were 11 other chickens in the boat who didn't go anywhere. And it's really simple, I think. Firstly, the head. My mind says, can't do that. The dominant, rational mind. Now, we know the Bible says, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours. It's higher than heaven than the earth. Anybody that thinks they understand God probably has a humbling experience coming. You know, we put God in a box and he escapes the box because he's greater than that. He does more than we can ask or imagine. God is always better than you realise, always bigger than you think. Um, and actually, the right approach to, to you know, pursuing God and to, to loving the Lord our God with all of our mind is to not let our mind limit God God loves us to seek him and seek knowledge and seek understanding, but he doesn't want us to make that a limiting factor on him and tell him, this is what you do, God, you're in that box. Now, the thing that really saved that for me, obviously, I've told you mind was my problem. Um, you'll have guessed that, um, because we wrote a book together on this, that heart was Becky's problem. But for me, mind was the issue. And, and what saved me was I used to um, memorise Bible verses. Um, so having become a fired up Christian. I used to do the Navigator Bible verse system. So some people might remember Bible memorization. You'd have little cards and on it you'd have uh, a Bible verse. One of the first ones I memorized was Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. And it goes a little bit like this. Some of you may be able to join in even. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will guide and direct your paths well-taught Bible church you've inherited here, Tom. Amazing. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I read that and I realised I am in trouble. Because I'm not used to using my heart. I always use my head. And lean not on your own understanding is a deeply convicting thing for me because that's entirely how I approach the world. I would always be saying things like, I just can't get my head around that. And that meant I'm not in yet because I'm going to try and understand this. Now, the mind is a wonderful thing. I'm grateful for the gift of my mind. It helps me lead, it helps me teach, it helps me analyse, it helps me understand. But I need to make sure that I don't let that limit my approach to God. God wants to do things that are beyond our understanding. He wants us to lay down our demand for understanding 
He wants us to learn to release control and say, your ways are higher than my ways. Take over, Lord. So that, for me, was a big, big challenge. For Becky, as she'll say in the next session, it's the wounded heart. so often the issue. The thing that would stop many people from taking a risk and stepping out with God is not the demand for understanding, but the requirement that it be safe because they've been hurt before. Whether they understand it or not, if you've got wounds in your life, it will often stop you from stepping forward and it will cause you to shrink back, to play it safe, to be in a more protected space. And that's what Becky will talk about. And then we'll do some prayer at the end of the morning as well. And um, hopefully, whether our issues are head or hearts, and to be honest, both of us, Becky and I would both say that we have a little bit of both going on. I am not completely heartless. <laughs> Becky does have a brain. You know, it's, like, it's, you know, it's also not a male-female thing. I've come across plenty of women who would go, actually, I relate more strongly to the head. And plenty of men who would say, no, actually, I relate more strongly to the heart. It's not a male-female thing. So you're a bit of both, and uh, your gender doesn't matter in this particular thing. Um, Becky and I have written a couple of books. So I, I wrote a book called Growing in Circles, which is basically um, it's got a little bit of testimony in there, but a lot of teaching. And it's really about how what we need to do to grow in the Christian life is not discover new things, but realize the things that we've just been taught more profoundly. That's how we, we go in circles, discovering things. And it's like, oh, and then it becomes the penny drops. So that, was, that was my experience. And then Walking on Water has this teaching. It has passages of uh, the head and the heart, particularly to do with, th with, with things about about experiencing God. Um, so even though I'm a logical, not very emotional, not very feely type of person, to this day, uh, you know, it's been really fascinating to not rule myself out from charismatic experience, to, to, to have been filled with the Spirit, to have um, discovered the power of things like speaking in tongues, to, to join with Jesus in seeing some miracles and things starting to happen. And then for Becky, the journey of restoration and healing and renewal um, that has to go alongside that as well. So if you're interested, we've got a table at the back with those on. But the great news is that coffee is almost with us. Um, we're going to have a little pray before we do. So uh, unless you're going to prepare coffee for us, in which case I release you with joy, um, would you like to stand? We'll have more time to pray at the end of the morning. But we've got a few moments now. And I wonder if perhaps if you would close your eyes and just be present to God. Um, we often encourage people to open their hands, actually. It's sort of gesture of openness and surrender. We were praying before the worship, that today would be a, a divine appointment. That this is a weekend that you're spending together as a church, but that also for each one of us, it would be a moment that God has foreseen and ordained where he meets with us and takes us that next step. So Lord, we give you permission 
to fill us in fresh ways, to lead us closer, to take us for your own. And so we welcome you into our lives. You said that anyone who comes to you from their inmost being, streams of life-giving, living water will flow. Pray, Lord, even now, streams of living water would start to well up from within us. presence of God can be entirely unemotional, but often we sense his presence. For some, it can feel like uh, weight. For some, it's just peace. Uh, for some, it's almost uh, like fire. You perhaps even, may even feel hot across your cheeks. For some, it's like power. You might feel just the presence of God in, in a tangible way. It doesn't really matter, but whatever God is doing, remember we don't need to understand it, we just need to welcome it. So thank you, Lord. More of you in our lives, we pray.